0: Good Wednesday, everyone. Welcome to the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast. Our continual look back at the 2019 season. We told you it was going to get a little better, and it gets a little better today as we take a look at Mississippi State. Of course, you can check out our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control at BlueWaterClimateControl.com or visit them on Twitter at Blue H 20 underscore climate is where you can follow them at on social media. Let's talk about this game. Tennessee wins. Uh, at home in a must-win as they beat Mississippi State 20-10 to 10 in this game. I thought in, upon watching rewatching the game, just seeing the emotion of Jeremy Pruitt, he had a very clear understanding of how important this football game was for this team last season for the rest of the season. Didn't you think?
1: I think so. I mean, you know, I but I mean, why would you not think that this, that game is big? Because after that, you got Alabama, and so if you roll in there, as a one-win football team playing South Carolina at home, uh, the week after that, you know, I mean, where were you at mentally? So to win this game and get win number two, but I mean, let's face it, you're right; things do get better the rest of the way. We talk about wins, and even the one loss they have, you at least can talk about, you know, the play going rogue and all that stuff as as a backdrop. So I mean, like, you know, th- this was a massive game. Um, it to me, it just further cements just you know the the. Roller coaster of, of quarterback play. I mean, Brian Malworth, throws two picks in the red zone, Brent. Jarrett, you know, clearly handcuffed most of the second half, but he did throw one of those. It's kind of like it's a different type of throw, but it's one of those throws that make you go, you know, okay, this guy can play quarterback at times, much like the pass to Jawan at Florida after the the bad throw to DWA. He threw just a beautiful touch uh, deep ball to Ramel Keaton in this game. Um, that, that, you know, makes you think, oh, well, where's that at consistently? So, I mean, hell, hell, this was the, a big football game.
0: Hell, the best, throw, the best throw he's played is he finally threw a flare pattern out in the flat to a running back that didn't <laughs> torpedo him in the thigh. That was it's actually, a, that was that actually won the catchable game. ball.
2: Yeah. That, I mean, won, that, that was, third and six won the game. I mean, I know that, you know, Tyler Bird had the big play, couple, you know, after that, but the, JG's played a third and six won the game. I mean – the, the overarching takeaway at the time was this kind of was the day of atonement, you know, for Butch's orphans because it was Nigel Warrior, it was Daryl Taylor, it was Batuli, it was uh, Tyler Bird, you know, it was all these guys. Um, it was JG coming up with the right play, Tim Jordan, you know, contributing as the number one running back. Uh, but when I rewatch it for a third time, especially kind of where we are right now, just coming off the NFL draft this is the game that Trey Smith looked like Trey Smith. This is the game when, when, you, when Gil Brandt's out there now talking about Trey Smith being, you know, a top pick next year. This is the game he had his legs underneath him. He made mincemeat multiple times uh, of kickout linebackers, of blitzing corners. Um, you know, Tennessee wasn't overly dominant running the ball in this game. They only averaged like 4.1 yards a clip. Uh, but – they were able to grind out that 91 yard drive at the end, and they did it a lot early with the run and mostly getting a hat on a hat running behind Trey Smith and Brandy Kennedy, two guys who they hope to be fixtures on the offensive line this coming season.
0: You know, Rob, it's interesting. They didn't necessarily put up the, the huge yards per carry, but they ran the football for three, really for three quarters. When you talk about the after the Maurer interception in the second quarter when they shut down the passing game. They lined up and said, hey, we're going to run the football. And Mississippi State knew they were going to run the football. And Tennessee, effectively enough, ran the football to win the game, which is something you had not seen out of a Tennessee football team in a
3: long time. Two years. I mean, they, they did the worst rushing team in the SEC, you know, the, the previous year. I, I mean, to me, I mean, Jesse referenced it, but that, that last drive, 91 yards, about eight minutes left on the clock, it's 13 to 10. You know, it just feels like, you know, with, with everything we've seen from this team in the last 15 games, 20 games even, I mean, it feels like things are getting ready to snowball and get, get worse. I mean, Mississippi State's not very good, but Tennessee has not been able to hold a lead. They've not been able to close the, close a the deal in a game like this. And, and they did it. I mean, first they hit the penalty on the, on the kickoff, which only, you know, kind of heightens the sense that, hey, they're, they're going to get three and out Mississippi States and get the ball to 50 down, down three. And, you know, it's, and here we go. But instead, I mean, as you said, they, they ran the football. I mean, it, it, the, the third and six pass that Jesse referenced was, you know, I'd forgotten about that one. We'll flip out to Jordan. I mean, obviously remember you know, Tyler Burns touchdown. I'd forgotten about that. that. That was a, that was a nice play. I mean, and it, you heard the announcers talking about it. I mean, Jerry did that. That wasn't his first read. I mean, he, he looked elsewhere and, and came back to Jordan for the safety valve. But to your point about running the football, Brent, that was—you started to get the sense that this was, you know, that, that they had something. That they were—they could be physical. I mean, it almost, you know, in, in the way they—they they can play offensive football the way Jeremy wanted to play offensive football, and you, you kind of saw that. And and that ninety-one-yard drive was the culmination of it. To, yeah. yeah. I mean, Tyler Tyler, Tyler, Tyler Bird sealed the deal with the, the, that—the the catch and run, but. Ty Chandler get it out of, out of the shadow of the goalpost. Tim Jordan with a couple of nice runs. They just – they were a physical running football team out to, to midfield. They weren't dominant by any means, but
0: this was the start of an identity. And they didn't become a – dominant. obviously, we'll talk about it in a few weeks. The Vanderbilt game, we know what Eric Gray did in that game. But they did find something to hang their hat on offensively where they could line up and run the football somewhat effectively, which they could not do early in the year. My other takeaway offensively from this deal was that just the yin and yang of Brian Maurer, you know, I mean, a couple of slants, I mean, it's dead on the money on time, blah, 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 blah. And and, and look, I know we had the concussion and, and all that for the second interception, the first interception is just a, just a bad read, just a bad football play. Totally baited. At, at any level, that's just that's just a bad play there. And that's the – I know he's a freshman. That's the growing pains. But that's where the frustration or the, I guess the, the concern I have with Brian Maurer is does he ever come out of that? Does, does he come out of that with more experience? We saw when in the Indiana game he got baited into plays. They weren't turnovers, but they could have been turnovers. I think that's your concern when you look at the quarterback room moving forward with a guy like Brian Maurer. Lots of talent. Look, great ball – you know, he's got great velocity on the ball. he got a good quick release. Can he manage the game, which he could not do in the red zone in this
1: game? He was really good, Jesse, 20-20, to you know, which was kind of summed up his year. I mean, he was able to make plays between the 20s, but when the field got smaller, the mistakes became way more frequent.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, and this is also a game, you know, it's – I had kind of forgotten in the moment. I and mean, I remembered that Tennessee had taken the air out of the ball because J.J. ends up with that stat line six for seven, and, and most of it's on two passes like the one that you had aforementioned to Keaton and then the, the score to Bird. But, you know, Juwan Jennings is not a factor in this game. That was really the only game all season that, that, you know, J.J. was not kind of Tennessee's dominant offensive presence. They tried that trick play, and it's a busted play. He runs it, you know, and does his whole – 20-yard scramble, but other than that, he was pretty much blanketed, um, and so for Tennessee to find a way to win offensively, I think is encouraging for this season in terms of some of the uh, physicalness and using the offensive line and the running backs. The concern, I would say, especially rewatching this again, is the margin for error is so small, because then it literally takes one drop or one non-first down in that last drive to potentially be in a position to lose the game, Jer- I, you know, I had this in my notes. Uh, again, process over results. I was not, you know, Jeremy, I think, got so spooked by some of the turnovers early in this game. He takes the ball. They get another interception. Trayvon Flowers gets that pick right before halftime, and yep. they run it three straight plays. They don't even call a safe pass, and they settle for what is effectively a 50-yard field goal. Now, Sam- Samaglia hits it. But that's asking a lot, you know, I think if you're projecting forward of sometimes you still – got to have enough faith in, in your guys. Jeremy, he wanted to win this game so badly. He was going to be as cautious as possible. Uh, but I do think you probably saw later on in the season him kind of give both his quarterback and the rest of the offense a little bit more room.
3: Well, I mean, I thought yeah, – I, 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 go ahead, Rob i was just going to – I mean, real quick, I just, to Jesse's point, I made a note of it that when, Jer- when Jared came into the game, Jeremy ran it on third and six, third and four, and third and nine, three times
1: in a row. <laughs> I, I was going to say, you know, the way he's coached through two years, the end of the half scenario is actually, in my opinion – the opposite of what he's been. It, to me, this was him him kind of feeling the pressure of the moment a little bit, knowing that they needed to win this game, afraid to, to, to take any kind of chances. Because he's been a gambler late in the half, taking some shots when you're like, you know, even like backed up on your own 20, you know, taking a few shots here and there. So, it, to me, it was, you know, a, a sign that, you know, he was really kind of apprehensive to, to do anything, you know, outside of just, you know, take the air of the ball and be very conservative. Take the three points, even if it means you're kicking a 50-yard field goal.
0: Well, and, and Jesse, and I think that's the point, you, know, you, you guys are making the same point, and I would agree with that, that he's been at times overly aggressive in, in the final five minutes of a or the final four minutes of a half. I thought this was the game, again, goes back to what I said in the open. What you're saying, Austin, pressure there, you got to win this game, and B, we have no idea what our quarterback's going to do right now. we we, let's let's see if we can steal points here jesse let's get to the half and figure out how in the heck we're going to manage the second half because offensively this is not what we were planning on doing today because i think the way they came out they really thought that they could run mississippi state out of the stadium and they had opportunities they just didn't execute in the red zone so i think it was let's get to the half and then figure out how to manage it and obviously we saw the management in the third quarter was let's Let's just don't make a mistake. We'll let our defense win the football game for us, which is kind of ironic because that defense could not get a stop four weeks earlier or five weeks earlier against Georgia State. They couldn't get the stop they needed against BYU to win that game either. But at the half, they said, hey, it's on the defense.
2: Well, and I'll say this. You know, afterwards, to, to Jeremy's credit, I mean, he acknowledged that this is not a winning formula each and every week, that this was how they had to win the game that day. I mean, he noted that. If you go check out his postgame yeah. comments, I mean, he says that explicitly. I'll also say this. Um, this was a game that, you know, he kind of flexed his, I thought, muscles as a football, you know, defensive football mind. The week earlier, they couldn't get any pressure on Fromm. Fromm had all day to throw. So, this is a game – where they dial up all sorts of crazy blitz packages. They're running double double corner cap blitzes. They're running jailbreak. I mean, it's just – and Daryl Taylor had a nice game kind of just pursuing the edge. And really, as a run defender, this is probably one of his better games of his career, helping stop uh, Kylan Hill. But, you know, in terms of pressure packages, they decided, hey, we're not just going to sit back. We don't have the front four or front, you know, edge guys to get to the quarterback. Let's send all the pressure we can, and it worked.
0: Well, on the first series, they brought a nickel blitz and they brought a corner blitz in three downs. You know, so they were going to come pressure there. Rob, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'll let you make your point, but I want to ask you this as well or, or note this and get your thoughts. I thought this was also a game where Middleton showed a pulse for, for the first time with some plays. Greg Emerson made a play. Kevon Bennett made a couple of plays. This was not the – Bye-bye, everybody's here, type deal. But this was a tangible kind of growth moving forward
3: for some of those guys up front. I thought I mean, completely agree. I just wanted to make the point. I mean, we talked about that that the last drive, this touchdown drive, was kind of the seminal moment of the game where you you, know, you really felt like something might be coming together. But the, the defense showed up from the start. I mean, I'm not trying to say that that Hill is Herschel Walker or Bo Jackson, but the kid was. You know, averaging 120 yards a game rushing coming into this one. Tennessee held it at 19 yards on 11 carries. I mean, the way they were able to take him away, I mean, he was clearly the focal point of the scout. And, and they just completely, you know, made him a non-factor. And, and the pass rush was there all day long. As you as you mentioned, against Georgia, I mean, Fromm sat back there and, you know, could have done cross-stitching in the pocket. And Jeremy decided, obviously decided that, hey, you know, I'm going to sell out. We're going to leave some things open. And they got hurt. I mean, you saw it. I mean, Mississippi State you know, caught them in, in a couple of bad blitz situations. But it, the, the payoff was worth it. I mean, I, I feel like for what they were able to do to the, to the pocket. It, one of the fun things about these watch is you get, you get to hear the announcers, which, you know, we don't get to hear when we're at the game. And you can hear Stinchcom stinch talking about, you know, uh, the clock, you know, the internal clock at in the quarterback's head for when the pass rush is getting there and you could, I mean, I thought that that was a factor as the game went on because Jeremy was dialing up so much pressure that they, they did rush some things and, you know, they were aware that pressure was coming. I, I
1: thought like Go ahead. We, we
3: talked about just the, just
1: maybe the change in philosophy a little bit. I mean, he, he, periodic times throughout his career, he's brought a lot of pressure because he couldn't get home any other way. Um, but I, I thought that you could just see, over the course of this game, the team got a little more confident, a little more confident, and then after they had won the game, I thought that you know the team just played looser the rest of the year. They played, you know, you have nothing to lose going the following week to Alabama. They to me they were loose against South Carolina, and then really loose all the way through November. I mean, I, I felt like that early in this game things were extremely tight. You know, um, and you, I just felt like you could see it in the players' body language when when Mauer threw that first pick um you know uh, you know when when a couple of things went awry it just it it seemed like that they they mentally they were you know thinking oh here we go again
0: yeah no i I think again i think this is the game where look you 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 don't have to be as you said uh, off the top austin it doesn't take you know a lot of scientific knowledge to understand the importance of this game and i think everybody jesse felt the importance of this game from, from the opening kick players, coaches. I think that's why you saw a very high-strung Jeremy Pruitt. He was argumentative about everything. You know, he was, he was grabbing at guys. But then you also saw, you know, just the, the emotion when something good did happen. I mean, you go back and look at, you know, just Jared's emotion when he made a play. You know, there was this – it created this sense of relief that, hey, we're going to live to fight another day. You know, Jesse. I think you said last week. You know, the the Georgia loss and in this game kind of t- meant you weren't you weren't done, but you were still you weren't at ICU yet at this point, or or whatever the the analogy medically you wanted to use. They they had to they had to have this game to move in a right direction. Jeremy simplified it on defense. Said we're going to play our style, aggressive, and come get you. And if you and if it's if it works, we're going to win. If it doesn't, then we may give up some big plays. And then. They got a lead and said, Hey, let's get out of here. Let's just figure out a way to get out of this thing any by any means necessary. And that's what they did, in my opinion. The,
2: the yeah, other, and that they were also, I will say this, they were, you know, agree how 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 Moorhead decided that Stevens was a better option than Trader is yeah. I mean that, that that I don't know how many games that cost them, but it definitely might have cost them this game because and, and Trader's. Yeah, it uh, yeah it did. Now I don't know how badly he wanted to be in Mississippi State. So, uh, but Schrader, I mean, he gave Tennessee some problems with his legs, with all the pressure that that the Vols were sending. Now they got there obviously uh, plenty of times, and he is not a particularly accurate quarterback. But uh, th- th- this was an identity game for the Vols, and and one that uh, obviously kickstarts the, the, the second half comeback in terms of kind of spinning it forward. A couple other notes. I put in uh, – I wrote down this was the game uh, that Jerome Carvin kind of – he became a, fi- a factor on the offensive line and really becomes the guy uh, at right guard for much of the rest of the season. He had only played 30-some-odd snaps before this game. Then I went back and looked it up. He played that many in this game alone. Um, this game was a game, too, that ironically uh, AP's boy, Gerard Meats, he played all those snaps, and then it was never to be seen from again. Uh, and, you know, he would have been a guy that I think a lot of folks were in the building were hopeful that would have been a factor in 2020 and now is not even on the roster. You know, here's the other thing, too,
0: Austin, that jumped out at me in this game and spinning it forward. One, this is a different defense when Henry got kicked out of the game. That the, the middle of the field was a little bit more open, looked like they had some, some miscommunications, some of those quarterback draws. Tells you how important he is and how big it is to find an answer. And if I'm not mistaken, I looked at it a couple of times. Did we not see Crouch a little bit at inside linebacker for a couple? Of yeah, and he was not game, very good. You know, so it tells me how much he needed spring practice. How quick can he speed up his learning curve? Because they've got to solidify that inside, particularly against running quarterbacks, Austin. Yeah,
1: you know, when they missed D- Daniel Batuli the first – two games um, they they miss the guy that lines them up a guy that you know knows where to be but from an athletic standpoint isn't what Henry was or is so um, you know when Henry goes out yeah I mean it, I think you just lose a ton of athletic ability in the middle of the field and a guy that's you know got a, a high football IQ so um, and, and I agree I, I think that you know there's no doubt Crouch you know you know really needed spring now he was gonna miss spring practice whether there was COVID-19 or not so it's I mean a good point I, you know I guess for him, you know, nobody's got a chance to get a leg up on him, and he's just going to be kind of, you know, setting level playing field um, as just about anybody. But, you know, he, he's a guy that, again, has only played a year of defense of, like, real defense, not just, you know, see ball, hit hitball, you know. I mean, like, understanding the schemes and all that. So, I think, you know, he's only going to continue to get better um, as he continues to pick up uh, the overall scheme. Well, and he's got to get better in, in a hurry for sure. Last thing for me,
0: Rob, is that the spin forward on this deal moving forward is the identity in the line of scrimmage that was created in this game that carried through that ten, the foundation for this 2020 football team should be built, was we'll started to build started to build this day depth on the defensive line, showing up a little bit more, and starting to figure out who your best five are on, on offense to create some depth there for the rest of this past season but also to create some great competition for you heading into this coming season.
3: Yeah. I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday about the offensive line. It, I mean, I couldn't, I don't know how many years Brent, and you might have a better idea. It's going to be the best situation in the offensive line in, in a number of years, no matter who your starting five is. I mean, you're going to have guys as backups who have played quite a bit of football for you and say, I mean, Riley Lockler is probably not going to start. He's 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 gonna be a senior that's played a lot of football for you. You just mentioned Jerome Carvin. If if Cade's eligible, he's probably not a starter. That's a guy that's played a lot. You have real competition, I think, between Calvert and Darnell Wright at right tackle. That's you know those are two guys that, that's, that somebody's gonna end up as a backup that has started games for you. And yeah, to to your point, this is just I mean Tennessee won this game because of the ladder scrimmage on both sides of the ball. I mean they they got six sacks. And they put together a 91-yard touchdown drive in, in the fourth quarter to seal it. Um, I mean, it was it was the kind of line of scrimmage play in an SEC game we hadn't seen since that you know the 5 in start that that Butch ended up running into a ditch in, in, in his next to last year.
0: Yep, I think that's exactly right. So a lot to learn about this game. Uh, obviously, it was a huge win for Tennessee to get, to be the catalyst down the stretch of the season. We'll see the offense start to grow in the coming weeks, but the defense, Jesse, continuing to grow as, as well as we get ready to head out the door here. It is. I just want
2: last last, just positive thing, spinning it forward. I, I, I would put major odds that we don't see a game in 2020 where Ty Chandler and, and Tim Jordan, both who, who again, had, were solid in this game, but not, but not exactly dynamic, both have close to 20 carries each, and Eric Gray has just two. I don't
3: think that's yeah. going to happen this fall. I thought it was interesting. My, my last point is I just, I mean, there, were, there were five interceptions in this game. All of them were gifts. Yeah. All of them, I mean, there was not a single one where, like, man, what a great play by the by the quarterback. I mean, they were all just, like, you know, backyard you know, throws into, into double coverage.
0: Well, my last thing about Eric Gray, Austin, and I didn't notice this, but, but when watching it and listening to the key, TV commentators, Stinchcomb talked about and in the, in the play-by-play guy talked about how Pruitt um, apparently, apparently they had breakfast with him on the field during pregame it sounded like uh, in their <laughs> conversations but they talked about how Eric Gray didn't break enough tackles and that's basically the reason why he wasn't playing. Now later on in the year we see that show up a little bit more but you know we were kind of all asking and wondering where Eric Gray was we thought it was pass protection Sounds like at this point in time his biggest thing was he just wasn't physical enough to make Jeremy Pruitt happy. Well,
1: you know, physical, but, I mean, he's also the guy that can can make people miss. Well, I, yeah, I think that it, it works both ways. I mean, maybe he doesn't break, break as many tackles as 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 Tim Jordan uh, or maybe even Ty Chandler, but, uh, you know, he also can make those Ty guys Chandler's miss. Ty chandler like la-
2: can-
1: that, 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 that I heard that I didn't make a note of
2: that, Hubs. It's good to bring that up. That seemed like a very strange – statement especially when you dig into the staff I mean like I I did that big PFF thing last season Ty Chandler was one of the worst in the SEC at breaking tackles so that was a an odd statement and I don't again I'm just spinning it forward I don't think you're going to see that again where those two guys get 20 something carries and Eric Gray sitting on the pine with two and I think well I mean I think that's
1: what all these college coaches whether it was the previous staff two previous staffs ago with this staff somebody else's staff they all get kind of get caught up in these like you know. These kind of, I don't know, they're, they're, to me, they're Old called mental tropes. blocks. I mean, well, I mean, like, it's like when, when coaches talk about bone density, I mean, you've <laughs> got bad bone density. I mean, are you walking up and smacking him in the, in the leg with a hammer? I don't understand. I, I don't really understand that. You know, I mean, did he not have enough milk as a kid? Well, <laughs> what's going on here? So, I mean, like, like <laughs> I just, this is another example of that. I mean, you just kind of get hung up on something that's a, as a perceived. Uh, yeah. Nuance of a game of somebody's game, and you know, uh, just let them go play. Yeah, it's got
0: to be big. It's got to be, you know, with a big, big back. Well, you know what? Maybe the guy that breaks a tackle and goes sixty yards is, or or makes a guy miss and goes sixty yards is not a bad thing, uh, as well. And I think we see that moving down the stretch, particularly in the Vanderbilt game, and even in the bowl game as well. So again, cha- big shift in momentum in the season for Tennessee as they take care of business at home against Mississippi State and a must-win. We'll talk about uh, uh, more of this season in the coming weeks as well as we look, at the, look back at the season and talk about what it means moving forward for this football team. Hey, in East Tennessee, you need a reliable heating and air system designed for your home and our climate. You need a team that's trained and held to the highest of standards. You need solutions, not sales pitches. There are many heating and air companies in East Tennessee. There's only one name you need to remember. That's Blue Water Climate Control. Blue Water Climate Controls, veteran-owned, family-operated, when you need a new system or a major repair, Blue Water isn't going to send out a sales guy. They're going to send an air conditioning expert to your home. They'll lay out the options that include repairing your current system, having it replaced with a system that's affordable, upgrading your energy efficiency, improving your indoor air quality, and options for financing that include same as cash and even rent to home. Give them a call at 865-299-2290 or visit bluewaterclimatecontrol.com to make an appointment. Blue Water is an authorized dealer for American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning. That's going to do it for this Wednesday edition of the Ballquest.com Season Rewind Podcast. For Jesse Simonton, Rob Lewis, and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, everybody.